Chapter 10 of The Story of Red Feather by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 An Old Friend Separated. Suddenly, Red Feather stopped. Melville did the same, wondering what the cause could be. The youth stood so near that he saw the chief was looking to the right, as though he had heard a suspicious sound or saw something in that direction. The lad gave close attention, since he could detect nothing. The Indian resumed his walk more slowly than before, but did not utter a word. His glances, however, to one side, showed he was not free from misgiving, and by and by he stopped walking and listened intently as before. "'What is it?' asked Melville, giving way to his curiosity. "'Me hear something.' was the reply, the Indian going still slower. "'I can't detect anything,' said the lad, as though the fact ought to lighten the fears of the other. Redfeather now tenderly placed Dot on her feet. The little one was half asleep and rubbed her eyes after the manner of children when disturbed. A whispered word from her brother kept her quiet, and kneeling down, Redfeather pressed his ear to the ground, holding it there for a full minute. Then he raised his head a few inches, looked off into the darkness, placed the side of his face against the ground for a few seconds more, after which he rose to his feet. Instead of explaining, he turned to Melville. You see Redfeather do, you do same as him. Melville promptly obeyed, assuming the same posture that his friend had taken closing his eyes so as to shut out everything that might distract his senses, he gave all his efforts to that of hearing. Yes, he did hear something, just the faintest irregular beating on the ground, so faint indeed that he would not have believed it anything except for what the Sioux had said. Hear nothing, asked the other as the boy came to his feet. Yes, I think I did hear a faint noise. What him be? That's more than I can tell, Redfeather. Horse, hear horse walking. That would hear. Is that the fact? asked Melville, somewhat startled, peering toward the same point of the compass at which the chief had gazed, though the lad had no other idea of the right course. Horse, he come this way. If that is so... There is likely to be someone on him, and I don't think it is well for us to meet him. To this wise remark, Redfeather gave no answer, but continued peering in the same direction as before. If there's one horseman, there's likely to be more. Melville cut his own words and whistled cautiously, checking that with equal suddenness through his fear of offending his friend. But the chief showed no displeasure and, before anything could be said, the form of the riderless horse came out of the gloom and trotted forward with a faint neigh of pleasure. "'Saladin! My own Saladin!' exclaimed the delighted youth, flinging his arms around the outstretched neck and actually touching his lips to the silken nose of the noble steed. "'Saladin, old friend, I'm proud of you,' said Melville. The Sioux did their best to steal you away from us, but you were too smart for them. 
One was cruel enough to shoot at you, but it don't look as if he did any damage. The youth could not resist the temptation to place his foot in the stirrup and leap into the saddle where he was at home. Now, Redfeather, he added, things are beginning to look up. I can relieve you of carrying Dot. The truth is that after we cross the stream I shall feel safe. Under heaven we owe everything to you, but you need go no farther with us. Ain't safe, said the chief sententiously. Injuns all round. Redfeather go all way home with Papoose. That is very kind, but I can relieve you of your burden. Me carry Papoose, replied the Sioux, moving toward the little one. Dot, said her brother, which would you rather do, ride on Saladin with me or let Red Feather carry you? It's a good deal nicer to have him carry me. Take me, Red Feather, she added, reaching out her arms. Melville was glad to hear this answer, for he knew it would touch the chieftain, whose heart had become wrapped up in the sweet little one. Before he could lift her, however, he paused, and saying, Wait, again knelt down with his ear to the ground. The result was satisfactory, and, remarking that he heard nothing more, he stood upon his feet, stooped over, and lifted the little one to her old place. Then the flight was taken up as before. Melville held Saladin back so as to follow the leader, who reached the side of the stream a few minutes later. Objects were indistinct, but the youth was so familiar with the spot that he recognized it as the upper crossing. When the lad would have lost himself, the Sioux had gone as unerringly to the spot as though the sun were shining overhead to guide him. Now, said Melville, as they waited a minute or two on the brink, there is no need for you to wade across and wet your leggings to the knees. It can be easily fixed. Oh, keep big loads for us, carry all. The lad laughed. That isn't what I mean. The pony is strong enough to bear us, but it isn't necessary. I'll ride him over and then send him back after you. This was a sensible course, for though an Indian cares little for the inconvenience of wading through water of considerable depth, yet he will not do so when there is any practical means of avoiding it. You must be careful, added Melville, as he was about to ride into the current, for there are some deep places which the horse will have to skirt closely. If he steps into one, he will go over his depth, and that will make it bad for you and Dot. I think I had better carry her over with me. Oh, Redfeather knows holes, cause he fall in em. Maybe you fall in with Papoose. How then, eh? All right, replied the youth with a smile, as he gave the word to Saladin, who began waiting with the same snuffing and care that his kind always show when entering a body of water. His rider was wise enough to decide that the safest course was to leave everything to him, for he had travelled this way often enough to be familiar with its dangers. He narrowly missed plunging into a hole near the other bank, but he saved himself, and finally emerged on the farther shore with his rider dry-shod. "'Now, old fellow,' said Melville, affectionately patting his head. Go back and bring over Red Feather and Dot. Try not to come as near making a slip as you did with me. The pony showed his comprehension of the request by stepping at once in the stream and making his way toward the other shore. 
Long before the little party reached the stream just crossed by Melville, night had fully come. The moon did not rise until late in the evening, and the darkness was such that, after parting with Saladin, he saw him vanish when he was no more than halfway across the creek. Of course, therefore, Redfeather and Dot were out of sight altogether. Melville sat down on the sloping bank, with his rifle across his knees, to wait the coming of his friend. In the stillness, the slightest sound could be heard a long way. The plashing of the pony's feet as he carefully felt his way through the water was so plain that it was easy to tell every step he took. The youth was looking idly off in the gloom when he observed a rapidly growing light toward the southeast, which you will bear in mind was on the other side of the stream. He watched it for a minute or two when the cause became apparent. A couple of miles east of the Clarendon home was that of the nearest neighbor. He was without any family, his only companion being a hired man. They had received warning of the impending danger in time to escape, but being well mounted and armed took a different direction from that leading toward Barwell, whither Mr. Clarendon and his wife hastened. They were gone, but their property remained. The buildings were more extensive than those of Mr. Clarendon and they had been fired by the Sioux. They created a huge glare which lit up the horizon in every direction. It must be, thought Melville, that Tall Bear and his warriors have been scared away by the appearance of white men, and have touched off those buildings out of revenge. If Redfeather and I could have only known that friends were coming, we could have stayed at home. I wonder they didn't try to fire that again now that they can get inside and have so much better chance. Melville watched the glare growing brighter and brighter, until it suddenly occurred to him that Redfeather was a long time in crossing the stream. The light from the conflagration brought the opposite shore into faint view, but failed to reveal the Sioux. While the youth was looking and wondering, however, he heard the splashing of water and observed Saladin making his way back but instead of doing so at the regular ferry place, he had gone some distance above, where the depth was greater. Even while staring at the pony, the animal sank down so low that it was plain he was swimming. This of itself was curious, without the additional fact that there was no one upon his back. He was returning, as may be said, empty-handed. As you may well believe, Melville was startled and alarmed. Something unusual must have happened on the other shore. There could be no doubt that Saladin had gone entirely across and now came back without the chief who expected to ride over the ford. The lad rose and walked down to the edge of the water to meet his steed. The latter obliged to swim only a short distance when the depth became so shallow that his body rose above the surface and he quickly stepped out onto dry land. "'What can this mean?' muttered Melville, examining the wetted saddle, bridle, and accoutrements. "'Were you sent back, Saladin, or did you come back of your own accord?' "'Oh, if you had the gift of speech!' It seemed to the lad that he could discern something moving on the other side, but with the help of the glare of the distant fire he could not make it out. 
he ventured to signal to Redfeather by means of the whistle with which he was accustomed to summon Saladin. The Sioux was sure to identify it if it reached his ears. The signal was emitted with such care that it could not have been heard more than a hundred yards away, and the youth listened with a rapidly beating heart for the reply. It came, but in a far different form than was expected or desired. The sound showed that other animals had entered the water and were approaching the opposite bank. At this juncture, too, the glare from the burning buildings increased, to that extent that the other shore came out more distinctly than ever. To his dismay, Melville observed that the bank was lined with mounted Indians, three of whom had already ridden into the stream and were urging their ponies across. They were doing this, too, with a skill which left no doubt that they knew all about the holes into which one was likely to plunge. Where these Sioux, as they undoubtedly were, could have come from with such abruptness was more than the startled lad could tell, though he naturally supposed they belonged to the party that had fired the burning buildings. Whether they were members of Tall Bear's band or an independent body, could not be told just then, and Melville had no time or inclination to puzzle himself over the question. It was enough to know that he and his pony were in imminent danger, and that not a second was to be lost in leaving the spot. He was in the saddle in a twinkling, and turned the head of Saladin to the north. "'A good deal depends on you,' he said, patting the neck of the noble animal. We have a rugged path to travel, and there isn't much chance to show them what you can do in the way of speed, but I know they can't beat you. I told you in the earlier part of this story that the upper trail, as it was called, was much more rugged and difficult to traverse than the lower one, which fact accounted for its general abandonment by those who had occasion to cross the stream. Had the ground for some distance been open prairie, Saladin would have shown a clean pair of heels to his enemies, and speedily borne his master beyond danger. But within a hundred yards of the bank of the stream the surface became so broken that it was difficult for a horse to travel faster than a walk. But our young friend did not hesitate to assume the risk, and Saladin instantly broke into a canter, which, to say the least, was the equal in speed of any pace his pursuers dare attempt. The difficulty, however, was that the latter were already so close that a volley from them could not fail to do damage. The fact that they had some distance yet to travel through the water, where their ponies could not be forced off a walk, was a vast help to Melville, who improved the brief space to that extent that he was almost out of sight when the horsemen forced their animals up the bank and struck into a gallop. Melville rode a reckless gait, which proved to be the wisest thing he could do, for though Saladin came near stumbling more than once, he did not fall, and drew so far away from his pursuers that he soon left them out of sight. Satisfying himself of this, the youth abruptly drew him to one side, forced him among some rocks and bushes, faced about, and held motionless. "'I don't know what has happened to Redfeather and Dot,' he said, "'and it may be they don't need my help. But I shan't do anything that looks like deserting them.' "'Shh!' 
At that moment the hooves of the pursuing horses fell on his ear in his hiding-place, and he knew the three Sioux were at hand. End of chapter 10